Right, then I start calling the outsourcing tech company in uh, in the beginning. So I go, hey, I need, I have this idea. Can you help me to solve? I think I called six countries, like different companies from six countries.、Uh, I think Canada, U.S., Ukraine, India, China, and、uh, I believe it's German. Yeah. So the price they give it to me was like hundred thousand dollars to seven digit, right? And that was shocking. I was like, oh, what? This is what am I looking at? <laughs> you know, like I had no idea like how much I I need to invest it. And at one point, I'm like, I'm gonna put a hundred thousand dollars in this because I knew I just knew if I have this software, it will benefits not just for my business but like to other immigration attorneys to the applicants themselves as well. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the GMI Rocket Show, episode number twenty today. I'm your host, Roman Zelchenko. I'm a former U.S. immigration attorney turned immigration tech startup founder and entrepreneur, and I'm really excited today to bring to you a friend of mine and a fellow immigration tech founder, Sean Fu. He's our third guest, actually from Canada, which is really cool. It's really awesome to see kind of what's happening north of our border here in the U.S. And Sean is the CEO and founder of a company called Supervisas. dot com, and they automate the Canadian immigration process. Basically, allow you as the user to come in and to sort of figure out what you're eligible for, to upload documents, information, kind of really go through the whole process within their platform、uh, with a regulated Canadian immigration consultant. And you know, the idea there is to make the immigration process to Canada cheaper, easier, quicker, etc. So. Really excited to talk to Sean about his experience and his journey coming to Canada from China. So, as an immigrant himself, kind of going through the process, building a company, having that company go through some really exciting news, which we'll talk about, and then of course to hear Sean's vision of what's happening both with super visas, but then more broadly with Canadian immigration. So, Sean, thank you so so much, and really appreciate you spending your time and and being here. Well, thank you so much, Roma, for having me、um, into your events, and、uh, I'm really like happy to join us and to share my own stories and the super visas to all of your audience today. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, people out there. Well, th- first of all, I know a lot of people are just interested in coming to Canada right now. So who knows? You know, hopefully, someone will jump off this、uh, this show or this podcast and just go right and sign right up. So, Sean, I, I love your story because. A lot of immigration tech founders are solving a problem that they've had, whether they were lawyers or they went through the immigration process, or they're just tech folks and they just love solving problems. And someone told them about a problem with the immigration space, and they said, "Ah, I can fix it."、Um, so for you, I know that this came out of partly your frustration with the immigration process that you had yourself. And so before we get into that, can you just, you know, I know that you you came here from China. Can you just chat a little bit about, or can you share a little bit about, you know, what, what was it like for you in China, just kind of growing up, et cetera? Maybe a little bit about your family, your home,、uh, your hometown, your home city, and and why did you decide on Canada eventually? Yeah, that's a very interesting topic. So I've been living in Canada for 15 years now. Before 15 years, when I came to Canada, I was just like a typical Chinese international student living in my good life in China. Then one day, my parents was telling me, "Hey, I think you should go abroad to study English because that's your future." Then my parents actually decided for me, say, "Hey, go to Canada."、Mm-hmm. I believe that's most of Chinese students、uh, when they're in the high school. We kind of lost. We're 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 in a very different education system. Like before university, I've never worked in a part-time job, so on and so on. So I don't really get my. Life experience and、uh, really just following the parents' recommendations or advice. So I just came to Canada. There is one story I wanted to share. When I came to Canada, we hired an immigration agent to help me to apply for school. Then the immigration agency was actually telling my mom, "Say, oh hey, I'm gonna send you guy, send your、uh, send send Sean to、uh, the number fourth university in British Columbia." My mom got so excited. Oh, my son can go to number fourth university. So、uh, we got the school offered, and we started applying my visa. I got approved. But when I landed in in Vancouver, 
then I was shocked because there are only four universities in British Columbia. That's very different, right? Because in China, even in my hometown, I'm from Changsha, Hunan. So it's the capital city of the Hunan provinces. I think in one district, we have like more than 40 uh, universities and colleges. So when I heard I can go to number fourth university, it's like yeah, I can get to go to like Ivy school in the States. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, so so, so that, you, you showed up to Vancouver and, you know, it's like, yes, I mean, the number, because, yeah, number four sounds, I mean, it's high up. Exactly. And it was, the, it was the fourth out of four. That's so, and, and so which school, do you remember which school it was? It's the Thompson River University. Uh-huh. So it's a good university. So don't take me wrong. But uh, I mean, the story is kind of just funny to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but, and so, so, you know, so you arrive here, you know, your hopes were like, something different than what had happened realized that like you're not going to be in the school that you actually envisioned and so what did you what did you do when when after you found out so i decided to switch uh to another university right but not just the school but also the culture shock before i came i was 2000 i think it was 2005 i don't even remember we have a google or like a baidu search but back then, right? Then we only rely on the information what the agency is providing to us. All I see is picture, the picture of a Vancouver with ocean, with tall building, everything. But uh, the university itself is actually in the um, Kamloops. It's, uh, it's Kamloops, it's, it's a small village in British Columbia, where it's only have a mountain and a rivers. So, and I remember I changed my flights in Vancouver and it took uh, just like a very small jet flying from Vancouver to Kamloops. And that was my first time flying with a jet. And I was like, I was like panic. <laughs> yeah, so as soon as I arrived in Kamloops, I'm like, no, this is not where I'm going to study for my university. And this is not where I'm going to spend my four years here. So I decided to switch my university. Was it hard to do that, to switch? It was very difficult for me. Because before I came, I speak barely no English, right? So first I was planning to go to a language school in Kamloops, but then I decided to switch my university. So one thing I have to do is like, I have to get my English test passed, which I have to learn everything from the beginning. So I remember I would just hop on the bus from Kamloops, went to Vancouver and uh, just stayed with one of my friends who I know through the, uh, the school. And stayed in the living room for about a year because I just don't know where to live, which school I should go. So I just went to downtown, like find a language school and uh, paid the bridge and started living a little bit there. I've been spent actual years in Vancouver and I started reapplying for universities. So that's how I got an uh, offer from York University uh, in Toronto. Then I moved from uh, Vancouver to Toronto. Oh, so, so you had to go through this year of kind of language school first in Vancouver. And then once you got that, and presumably, I guess you passed some sort of a, an English literacy test or something, and then you were able to apply to York, to York University? Exactly. And I was the one, like, I was a lucky one, right? Because I am going to be able to get my English done within the year. And so I, I will be able to qualify for the entries, uh, the university entries for the language parts. But uh, um, along the way, I met a lot of classmates like from different countries, uh, not just China, but like all other Asian countries or like South American countries. They had a same, same like or similar situation as what I did, right? And uh, they got uh, stuck because they couldn't pass their English test. But image, picture, they had uh, this hope to come into Canada for university, but they got uh, stuck just because of the English, which they could done in their homeland like in their home country before they can actually come here yeah and, and that and they're stuck because the immigration agent told them one thing and then when they arrived i guess the idea is it was something totally different and they just didn't know any better right yeah so i wouldn't say it's like a totally because the agent told them but also because of the lack of lack of information or lack mm-hmm. of transparency they didn't get enough information before they can actually come yeah got it Got it. Understood. Wow. Yeah. No. And I can imagine, I mean, lucky to your point, you're lucky that you passed the English test. You were able to kind of go to York university, but these folks were stuck and I guess they couldn't pass their, they, they didn't, did they have to go home to their home countries or did they? Yeah. So 
while I was like yeah, at York, so I still met a lot of Chinese friends. Um, they had to pack up like their back and going back to China even after they spent like two three years here. Wow. Um, yeah. So so that's you know th- thanks for sharing. That's kind of a that sucks, right? And you're like 18 years old at that point, and you're in your country by yourself. You don't have your family. And, you know, I can't imagine it must be pretty hard to navigate that whole situation. So, all right, you, you landed in York University. You've, you've already like your first year in Canada has been a roller coaster, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, 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 so tell me, you, you finally land in, in York University and, and then you have, you know, you've got your work permit and you're kind of studying, et cetera. Tell me about how that, how that goes. Doing the studies, I would say it's 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 just it's normal as um, other international students, right? Like um, when I was um, making jokes with my classmates, it's like I only landed in Canada less than two years, but I lived in five cities already, like Kamloops, Vancouver, and in between I moved to Ottawa. Then I'm in um, Toronto. It's actually four cities, right? So that's good. That's pretty funny. But then in my year two, what happens is my family went bankrupt, right? And uh, just picture myself, barely speaking English, and I'm an international student. I pay international students tuition fee, which is about like $20,000 a year for my tuition only. And I have to pay my living expenses, everything else. And I've never worked in my entire life. So I just got a call from my mom say, hey, son, tomorrow you got to make money for your own rents, like tomorrow. <laughs> so I was like, oh, what? Like I literally said the F word like to myself. And then I had to wake up 3 a.m. in the morning. It was winter. I still remember that time. And uh, just walking down. Like I was like living in the fancy condo in Toronto downtown. And uh, But I just literally understand I'm not able to afford this place anymore. So I had to wake up 3 a.m. and walking down to the street just looking for a part-time job. And I don't even understand why I'm waking up at 3 a.m. to looking for a job because there's no business open. But I just like had a, you know, like uh, I, I don't have any solution. I think I would just panic. So I was trying to try my best to see what I can do. Yeah, but luckily I find a, a first a part-time job. Then I also got a switch to another room, uh, like a smaller room and a pay less rent. Yeah. So you were able to, were you able to just leave that apartment and, you know, because obviously you couldn't afford that anymore. You were able to leave it and find something smaller. Yeah. Yeah. So I managed everything in pretty much like in a week. Wow, man. I can't imagine getting a phone call like that. Yeah. I mean, was your family like fairly well off beforehand and you, you know, it was like you were comfortable and you just, you know, you're able to go to university and that kind of a thing. Yeah. So I would say like, um, I'm financially 100% relying on my parents before I came to Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're paying me. They're, they're like, I'm a really grateful for my parents because they pay everything for me, like tuition expenses. They're just hoping me to get a better education so I can get a better job or even like taking uh, over the family business and so on. Mm, interesting. Okay. okay. So, so your family, so it's like a family business. And so basically the family business essentially at that point, I guess, went bankrupt and 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 you essentially were not able to rely on your on your family at that point. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And and what I don't know if you can share, but what business is your is your family in in, in China? Yeah. So they're actually like a running a, a restaurant and a hotel business oh, in, nice. in my city. Yeah. So so if yeah. I go to your city, you're gonna have to tell me where to go eat. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you should follow with me next time. Yeah. Definitely. Oh man. Wow. Yeah. That's a challenge. And, and, you know, I can imagine, especially right now during COVID thinking about restaurant businesses and, you know, it's like hospitality is really it's a challenge. I mean, I know this was over a decade ago, but just thinking about that now. So, so you moved into a smaller apartment, you, you know, you found a part-time job, some kind of money to just like allow you to live because you don't want it. Like, I mean, you're a student, this was your second year, right? So you're not, yeah. you want to stay, you, you want to finish your education. That's why you're here. You eventually graduated? Yeah. So what happens is that like, because I couldn't even afford my tuition, right? Then I had an option to switch my degree to a college uh, diploma. So in that case, I don't have to pay my tuition. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. So I switched my degree to a uh, diploma. Then I could just instantly graduate without paying any tuition. Um, But what happens is after I switched my school, 
my study permit got expired, right? But actually, I had option to extend my study permit within 90 days. So I went to the international office at this college and then asked for a school letter because that's part of the requirements to submit a reapply my study permit. And they refused to give it me because they say your study permit is expired. Then when I explained it to them, there is a 30, uh, 90 days of uh, restoration date, which is you can find it in the CIC website. But the person who is in the office is, does not have any knowledge about the immigration process. So they re still refuse to give it to me. And they say, we have to wait until the director comes back because it was a reading week. So everyone's on a vacation, a holiday. So until I wait, everyone comes back, my study permits got expired and then no one can actually really give me the school letter for me to reapply my visa. So what they did is like, um, I'm sorry, but it is what it is. Um, so you have to drop out your school and come back next year. Um, so I begged them, literally, say, you can't kick me out of school because I can't afford myself for another tuition. So they say, okay, we can keep your status in the school, but you still have to come back next year. So I had a one-year gap again. <laughs> so just, okay, this is this is crazy. And, and so just, because remember, you haven't even graduated university yet and you're, yeah. you've had all of these challenges. So you basically, you know, you, you dropped out of, or, or you transferred from four-year program to a two-year program. Correct. Right? Like you, you went to, you left York university yeah. and you went to another college where it was, I guess, cheaper, or you could already graduate. You already had enough credits. Yeah. So I had enough credits, right? You had enough credits. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, and so at that point, when you were going to transfer, you needed something from your university to continue with the work permit. And you went to the office and they said, your work permit has expired, or sorry, your study permit has expired. Yeah. And you said it's expired, but there's this provision where that allows me to, for 90 days, like re restore the permit. And the people in the office, in this international student's office, they didn't know about this Im immigration law. Yeah. And, and, and what you're saying is they said, all right, fine, let's wait for the boss to come back. And by the time the boss came back, it was like too late. Yeah, exactly. That's what happens. So, wow. And I had a classmate, exactly same same situations as what I, what I was in. But uh, his study permit was expired for more than six months. But he just got the school letter. So I was like, that's just a matter of luck. <laughs> wow. Okay. So... Man, that's got to be, it's like one thing after another. So you had to take a year off because you were saying that like you, you know, you had to take a year off from school. Yeah. Um, all right. So after the year, you went back to school and then you finally graduated. Exactly. So after I finally graduated and I just told myself I cannot mess up with my visa or any sort of a related applications again. So that's why I started applying jobs in immigration firms. And that's where I started the immigration industry. So now I've been working in this immigration industry for about 80 years now. And so the thinking was like, all right, I still have my immigration process. If I work at an immigration firm, then I'll be for sure on top of my own visa because I, you know, I work in the environment. Exactly. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's nice. That's, that's smart. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, it's like, well, if I want to get in shape, I should probably go work at the gym. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about that first job, right? Because, you know, I know that you, these experiences, obviously, I mean, this is even talking about it's stressful for me to listen. And again, you're like 22 years old at this point. It's not, you know, you're still a kid, you know, you're still young. And so to deal with all this is pretty challenging. Can you tell me a little bit about um, how was it actually going to work in, in the immigration space? And what was that first job that you had? Yeah, so the first job was actually administrative. Uh, assistant, right? But it's such a small uh, immigration agency firms. So I had to do a lot of tasks. Like I'm wearing a lot of different hats, like administration, marketing, operations, so on and so on. So um, I, I think like I find it very challenging for me at first, but like, I really enjoyed it because you really solving people's problems. So people calling in and they have in this visa uh, issues or they have this immigration problems and then I just find out I'm not the only one having problems and so I find out okay so there's a, a lot of the people out there same as me but uh, they're smarter than me because they know where to looking for help but where I was just like I got a stuck 
um, uh, by myself, right? So I was like, okay, um, that's how I started getting interested in this immigration because I find I'm really helping people. Mm-hmm. But after working quite a few years in in these companies, but I also see there is a lack of transparency problem still there. Um, people are charging crazily for different applications. I guess because I had those bad experience myself, so I just can so relate it myself to those clients if they're if they're being treated unfairly. Um, so at one day I just couldn't bear my previous job anymore, and then I was just like, mm, I have to quit. <laughs> yeah, then and then I quit my job. Then I started my own traditional immigration uh, agency. What I did is a legal outsourcing company because. I got a um, network in the space, especially in Toronto region. And I find, okay, why you need to go to the agency? I can just bring the clients from China directly to the Canadian immigration lawyers. So they're paying a reasonable fee. And also the lawyers are providing the professional services and it's all legal services, right? So it really can help people go through the whole um, flow. So I think I did very well. Um, when after I started my own traditional uh, legal outsourcing company, uh, at one point it was like sometime in 2018, I reached a capacity. Like I just couldn't handle more cases myself because I was majorly focusing on the Chinese market. So there's a 12 hours, or sometimes in the winter times, a 13 hours difference. So I had to stay really late night or wake up in the very early in the morning, and I still have to work in the daytime. So that's why I was trying to find out a better way to solve this problem. Then I had an opportunity to participate in the collision in Toronto, and that opens to my eye with the technology. And, and so uh, that's awesome. And just, right, just before we get to the collision piece, you basically started your own immigration firm, not a law firm because you're, you know, you're not a lawyer, but you had the network in Toronto of RCICs or Canadian immigration attorneys, right? And yeah. also being from China, and I guess with your friends and family, you had people in China who you could, who came to you and said, hey, I want to move to Canada too. Can you help me? Exactly. And so you just became like the, you kind of a referral now. You basically were like a referral, like an immigration referral agency, right? Exactly. Got it. Exactly. And how, how did the folks in China find out about you or, you know, how did they know to come to you? Yeah, so I read like a post on the Chinese social media so that's how they find out about me if it's a stranger but also there's a because i've been working by the time i think i was like four or five years in the industry so i, I helped a lot of clients in uh, in the past years right so it's a lot of clients are coming from food referrals like the success applicants then they refer their family and friends mm-hmm. yeah uh, yeah because they worked with you directly in your old company so they said oh yeah talk to sean and at that point, you had your own firm. Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds really smart. But to your point that it's not scalable, right? Because it's you and with the timing. Okay, so so at this point, you're at this stage where you think to yourself, this business is actually going well. and But I can't continue to grow it. I can't continue to scale. I can't help more people because I need to sleep and I need some time and, you know, et cetera. Um, and, and it sounds like this is where you really started to think about this idea of technology. So at this point, you, you want to leave the sort of unscalable immigration business behind. Can you tell me a little bit about like, how did you find out about this tech program and how did you get into it? Like, how did that happen where you thought, OK, technology and then all of a sudden you're in this uh, this program? Yeah, I think that also goes to a little bit of my personality. Like, I'm not a typical guy, like, just to stick in the one traditional way and, like, just, like, working in the same way every single day. I think, like, I'm an Aquarius. Um, so I just, like, new things every single day. Uh, at one point, I had an opportunity to meeting a founder, a Chinese startup company, CEO. Um, the company is called a VIP Kids. What they do is that they, they're using a platform to connect the North America English teacher to teach English over the platform to the Chinese students in China. And I thought that's brilliant. Like that's exactly what I wanted to do. And that just matches my business model because I'm creating a legal outsourcing companies and uh, I'm just referring the Chinese clients to the uh, immigration lawyers why we don't use a platform. 
right? So that planted a seed in me, but I never thought like I never know how can execute to build a tech company. Mm-hmm. And until 2018, I was like, then the VIP kid it was still in my mind. It's like I got to do this, right? Then I start calling and uh, the uh, the outsourcing. A tech company in uh, in the beginning says go hey I need I, I have this idea can you help me to solve I mean I I think I call it six countries like different companies from six countries uh, I think Canada U S Ukraine India China and uh, I believe it's uh, German yeah so the 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 price the price they give it to me was like hundred thousand dollars to seven digit. Right, and that was shocking. I was like, "Oh, what? This is what am I looking at?" <laughs> you know, like I had no idea, like how much I, I, I like I, I need to invest it. And at one point, I'm like, "I'm gonna put a hundred thousand dollars in this because I knew, I just knew, if I have this software, it will benefits not just for my business, but like to other immigration attorneys, to the applicants themselves as well." Right, and then until I reached this company from the states. And they invited me to Collision, and I was like, "What is Collision? It's a it's a tech conference." I'm like, "What is a tech conference?" <laughs> it's like it's a bunch of a tech company gathering together in Toronto, and uh, so we can give you free tickets. I'm like, "Oh, I, the, the, those are tickets," and then so they give me free tickets, and uh, the tickets worth is six hundred dollars. And I was shocking. I was like, "What event it is this? It's a six hundred dollars. It's like I'm going to a concert." Um, so I went to the collision. There's like thirty thousand people there, wow. and that just blowed my mind. Right? It's everyone is in the tech space. Everyone's engineer, VC, startup. So I had an opportunity to talk all like a lot of them, and that really inspired me. Um, see how many people are trying to leverage technology or using technology to solve people's problem today. So I find, okay, I'm gonna do something meaningful for my life. So, I, so that's why I started SuperVisas today. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is a little bit of foreshadowing because the Collision Conference was something you attended in 2018, and then not too long, not too long of a while afterwards, SuperVisa actually made its way to the collision conference right as a company exactly exactly so we were we were gonna participate in 2019 but then covid so we had a a delayed it to 20 uh, i mean to next year yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so but a little bit of foreshadowing there but i just i just love that piece so it sounds like you went to the collision conference and it really kind of inspired you to say all right i'm going i'm definitely going to do this but you just mentioned that you it was really, you know, the quotes, because it sounds like, I mean, you're not a developer, so you're not going to develop this yourself. You wanted you know, to hire some sort of an outsourcing team. It sounds like the quotes you were getting was high six figures, low seven figures. Um, so did you end up just finding a company eventually? Because I think this is a really interesting part, right? You know, so far you've had this experience and that gave you the motivation to be in the industry. Then separately, in parallel, you had the seed of an idea that, wow, I can use technology to kind of, you know, uh, create efficiencies in different industries. And then you had this idea of like, wait, hold on a second. I can create technology. I can use technology for my own business, for my industry. A lot of people, you know, in the immigration space within mobility, because there's still so much room for improvement, I think have these combination of ideas and thoughts. But then the point you made earlier is execution. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, what is that first step? I mean, you were taking the first step by calling companies and saying how how much would this cost? But man, I know if someone told me seven hundred thousand dollars, I'd be like, all right, forget it. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do something else. So, what did you eventually do to actually get it off the ground? Yeah. So I did hire um, um, technical co-founder in the team, but before that, I wanted to go back to the the, the those costs. I really appreciated every single one jump on the call to talk to me about price, even the products. That's really, I think that's my first license to learn how to actually building the super visas today, right? Because while I was talking to them and they were asking me, they're like a PM or they're engineer. So they will actually ask me, what is the problem you're trying to solve? And what, like, which pieces you wanted me to build for you? Initially, I had no idea because I was having this uh, vague or big picture in my head, but I don't know how to even describe 
to oh, I need to solve to to help people identify the right programs beginning blah blah blah. But then doing those conversations, they walked me through. If you wanted to build this, you need to do A, B, C, D, and following. Right. So that's how I learned my first license how to build a tech company. But then after the collision. We started applying for different uh, accelerators or uh, start like uh, incubators. We got accepted by Founder Institute, so that's where I met Sonio, uh, uh, who is the managing director at the uh, Founder Institute, and also he's the managing director at the TechStraw Toronto. He really helped me a lot. Well, he hosted the, the regular events on a weekly basis, providing those mentorship with the different experts in the different industries. Their tech, their business, their marketing, their sales. So I had this whole picture of how to build a、um, um, tech company within three months. So that's I start up to hire the first technical co-founder in November, um, 2019. Then I guess because I do have the、um, domain expertise, and after those trainings, all the talks in the past six months, you know, so I had a, a clear picture what I wanted to build. Step by step, right? Then that's why when we hired our first、um, co-founders in November, then we just pushed ourselves in about、uh, like a couple of months. Then we had our MVP launched, which we launched in April of this year. Yeah. So when you say we, what did you? Were you was supervisor you and the supervisors? Was that just you in the very beginning, or did you have a partner? Yeah, so I had a partner, and he's、uh, Joe, and、uh, his name is Joe, and he's also my co-founder. And C- today, he's the co-founder and the CEO. But when he started joining the company, he was my friends, and he was just helping me, and、uh, and I was just like sharing this crazy idea to him. And、uh, I-, I don't know if he's、uh, even fully understand that what I'm talking about. He's just like, you know what? Let's do it together. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's that's the kind、yeah. of friend you all need. You need a、uh, you need someone who's just going to get behind your ideas and, and help out. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, and and you know, you mentioned that you hired your first、um, kind of technical、uh, co- co-founder, technical person, but you already had a product before then, or did you not have anything built out yet?、Uh, before the technical co-founder, no, we don't have any product yet, right? So we start building the product when we had this、uh, technical co-founder in November. So、wow. we really just built it in the five months. Yeah. Wow, that's、mm-hmm. crazy. That's crazy. That's so exciting. Um, cool, and and so at this point now you've so along the timeline basically you know we're between November 2019 and March 2020, which is just you know, gosh, right around the corner, and then there's coronavirus hits, right? COVID hits,、um, but at this point you're building out the first version of Supervisa. Used to be Supervisa, now it's Supervisas. We'll talk about a little bit about that,、um, but you know you you go through the Founder Institute. And、um, I'm assuming there's just a lot of networking there, and, and a lot of you know just、uh, resources that you had access to. I suppose. When did you officially launch? When did you kind of hit that big red button and go live? Yeah, so it's like we officially launched in April.、Um, but what happens is that after Founder Institute, we're doing Founder Institute. Like we 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 obviously we hear a lot of no's, like most company does. And、uh, I, but I feel exciting to hear no's other than yes. And one thing I learned is that if everyone telling you're good, but no one pays your money, then you're slowly dying, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, but if everyone being genuine to you tell you what is not good about you, what is not good about your products, then you have the opportunity to fix it. Otherwise, you don't even know what's going on、mm-hmm. there. So I really appreciate those no's from、uh, all different peoples, like providing those genuine feedbacks to us. So we got lucky because we started like generating revenue since day one, right? Because I had those、uh, clientele pool previously, and they're very willing to try the technology with us.、Um, so I'm really grateful for that as well.、Um, so we start generating revenue. Then start COVID happens, and we we were like, shoot, like the revenue is going down. What are we gonna do, right? But what happens is actually our revenue is going up. And we're not just getting requests from、uh, the applicants, but also、uh, a lot of previous partners, like、uh, their overseas partners. They say, "Hey, can we use your platform to help our clients? Because COVID right now, like we have to close our stores,
um, like my clients cannot come to the uh, office to meet with us. What are we gonna do? And I have to pay the employees. We, we still have to pay the rents, right? Then that's when we start like pivot our business model a little bit. We launched by just selling to the individuals, but then now today we actually selling to um, individuals, but also the immigration agents overseas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it would be a really good time to understand a little bit about the business model. You launched, when you launched Supervisa, the idea was that individuals interested in moving to Canada would go into the platform, they'd learn, they'd, they'd answer some questions or upload some information, kind of basic stuff to determine what they can be eligible for, I guess, in the first place, or they first choose which type. So I want to work or I want to study. Right. And then they upload some info, take essentially a questionnaire, determine their eligibility. And then can they actually leverage the platform to connect with a lawyer or consultant? Exactly. So for people in North America, they, um, I believe they heard of TurboTax. TurboTax is a, it's a automation filing software for tax filing. Right. So tax are very complicated. Same as immigration. Immigration in Canada alone, there are more than 200 different programs if you're counting the visitor visas, the study visas, working visas, and immigration. Um, in immigration alone, there's more than 80 immigration different programs when people wanted to apply. Um, a lot of times when I was talking to my clients, is their goal is to immigrate to Canada, but they don't know how because there are too many options um, out there and there's too many information out there as well. Um, when there's a too much information, it creates the problems, how you can actually to find the real information and to apply through those programs. So that's uh, a, a huge problem, especially in the overseas market, like in India, in China, because there are too many information. People want to, like some, some bad agents, I would say, they just want to take your money and they were just telling you, okay, give me the money. I'll help you to get an immigration. And they're help, like they were just like, under the table, creating fake documents without even like a concern from the clients. And um, even in 2009 or 2008, there's a news coming up. People paid $170,000 for um, immigration and it's fake. So wow. they didn't get the immigration for sure, like at the end, but they also lost the money as well. So wow. that's just give you an idea how bad the, the, the overseas market can be, right? Um, so SuperVisa come into place is trying to using the automation without a human in the loop in the beginning by asking simple questions and help the applicants identify which programs is suitable or is actually eligible for them to apply. So first, we wanted to have them to understand where their position is in instead of just being told you can do this, you can you can do that. Like what I like in my own scenarios, like when they're telling me like a number four university in the beginning, right? Yeah. Then once they check that their own eligibility, then they um, they do have the option to upload their essential documents for verification with our regulated Canadian immigration consultant before they even pay any penny to us. Mm-hmm. So that way we just can um, maximize success and then maximize or to limit it their 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 failure of their application mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense and so at that point once it's the the docs are reviewed then they can say all right let's move forward with something exactly um, and, and so i guess that was growing right i mean that business was growing but then you what kind of made you pivot to this idea of also offering uh the super visas platform to these agents overseas because the agents, I guess, it's somebody like you worked with, right? When you were coming from China to the U.S., you had someone in China who mm-hmm. knew who knew the lawyers and the, whatever in Canada, and that person connected you with the with whoever did your filing. So yeah. I guess you, what you're saying is that now SuperVisa is, is going to be the platform that those pe- very same people use. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like immigration agents, like. So that's why in the beginning, I wanted to clarify, it's not all the immigration agencies are bad, right? Um, a lot of them are, a lot of them are trying to do the good thing, uh, do, to do the good things, but they, 
but picture they're in the same city as those clients. So they have very limited resources as the clients as well, right? Uh, what they do is like they, they have a number of years experience in this industry. So they can have a little bit better understanding than their clients, but not fully understand. Mm -hmm. So traditionally, immigration agencies partner with local immigration lawyer or a regulated Canadian immigration consultant. Um, so the agencies in China or in India, they're doing the marketing job, but then the lawyers actually doing the paperwork behind it. Mm -hmm. um, but we've, what we learned through this pandemic is that we talked to hundreds of immigration agencies, right? And it's the lack of transparency. It's not just to the clients, but also to them. The regulation changes very often. And if the partner lawyer or partner regulated Canadian immigration consultant um, will not be able to provide weekly or even daily updated, then they might provide the wrong information to the clients in the beginning. So there is a disconnected, right? So that's where we thought, okay, because we have a platform and we can create an instant respondent to the partners who wanted to serve their clients. So that's actually solving our problems. Instead of just providing um, misinformation, what they can do today is actually having the, like one of their employees just input their client's information to the system then we will tell them right away which program is good or suitable for your clients, what documents do we need, how much you charges, what is the processing time, what document, like document checklist, and so on and so on. So mm -hmm. that's actually helping them to increase their efficiency and um, to, to, to yeah, lower their costs as well. Initially, without the software, um, they will have to multiple people to do consultation. Because like the CAC is really high, customer acquisition is really, really high, right? To acquire one of the immigration applicants. And they spend a lot of money and the time to vent to those qualified leads as well, right? Picture if one of our clients wanted to come to Canada through express entry um, program, but they don't have English. Mm -hmm. Some people will tell you, you can't apply, just pay me the money. And then the next thing is, okay, go get an English score, which it's kind of impossible for people who don't have English background. Um, versus now they can just go through the pipeline on the software first, just type in their background, and we'll tell them instantly whether this client is eligible or not. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it like cuts out a whole layer of discovery. They can just do it almost instantly and for free. And I guess to your point, if you guys, so does SuperVisas, like, are you essentially up to date with all the requirements? If there are any changes, that's all updated in the system so that if there's a new you know, there's a new requirement or an, or an updated requirement, then if I go and tomorrow put in my information, it'll reflect that change. Exactly. Exactly. Because what happens in the traditional model is that you like most lawyers actually providing training, right? On the regular basis. But what happens is like, if you're an agent, but don't really giving the lawyer a lot of clients, then the connection will disconnect. Because they have their own labor costs, right? They don't see return, then there is no more connection. But, but, but the problem can be solved with the software. Yeah. Because we only have to update one thing, and it, it benefits everyone in the loop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That makes all the sense in the world. Mm -hmm. so, um, that's exciting. So, you know, one of the things I want to ask you about, I guess, which is kind of where we're getting to, is uh, the growth of the, of the company. I mean, I saw that you, you, know, you recently wrote about um, hiring your your CTO and co-founder. Um, obviously, you guys are you know you're growing. You've you've launched this new platform, so now you can and it's both right. So you can still serve individuals, but then also you can help agents grow their business through Supervisas as well, right? You still do both. Exactly, exactly. So right now, our goal is really just trying to helping the end user, which is the applicants, to get their visas. But by reaching them, we're using two different strategies, right? So we can sell to them um, individually through the social media, but also we can help them through the agents um, who can uh, providing concierge services in their local uh, countries. Because we do have, like, we find out also there's, a, there's another problem. It's the language barrier that relates to the lack of transparency. Even nowadays, people have access to the internet. They can go to CIC website, which is the Immigration Canada's website, to find out the programs, 
have requirements and so on and so on. But not everyone speaks the local, like the the, the not everyone speaks the English um, before they can actually apply for study permit, work permit, so on and so on. Um, so the agent is actually providing those translation services in the local uh, market. And so that's why there's value they're creating over there as well. And so let me ask you something about the RCICs, because I think in the U.S., you know, mm-hmm. there's there's some questions about and there's some there's some challenges with companies that do something similar because they think that, you know, you're trying to take the job of the lawyer. They're trying mm-hmm. to take the job of the RCIC. You know, one thing that I, I I'm always interested in is understanding that these individuals, the RCICs or lawyers, they fit into the business model. You can't exist without them, in a sense, mm-hmm. because you need them to review applications, to talk to the client if there's a legal question, et cetera. Right. So I don't know. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you also you use RCICs. You need them. You're not replacing them. You're actually empowering them, I guess. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So in the beginning, I'm still like a running a referral model, even for Supervisa in the very, very beginning. Right. And we still wanted to refer the clients to the uh, immigration lawyer or regulated Canadian business consultant. But what problem is there is that we lost the price control. Right, because different lawyers charging different price, which is understandable. Um, but the user are not happy. Right, the user are like, for example, like an A is coming through me, and the A's friends are coming through me, but they have to pay two different price. Um, so they're not happy. So by solving that problem, what we did is we hire regulated Canadian immigration consultant in house. Oh, gotcha. So you, they actually work with four super visas. Exactly. So we're not doing referral plan, uh, referral model anymore, right? And yeah. the vision is that we wanted to hire as many as uh, immigration lawyer or regulated Canadian immigration consultant to our platform as we grow, right? Because from what I understand, it's, there's only twenty percent of immigration lawyer or uh, RCIC is actually making money, right? And other than that, there are just like like just earning salaries as ever uh, as everybody does. And um, we wanted to empower using the technology to empower them to help them to generate more money through the platform. And by achieving that, that's going to the technology itself. Because as an immigration lawyer, what they actually do is like providing consultation and uh, filing the application and gathering the documents and providing correspondence between the government, the applicants, and themselves, right? So we're trying to automate the application filing and gathering the documents for them. Essentially, um, I mean, at the end, what we wanted to achieve is when we bring an application to our lawyer, all they have to do, just review the documents. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing those paperwork, um, spend a lot of, um, unvaluable time on those yeah. parts. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then that's what makes it a little bit, that's what makes the, the cost lower, but you're still, you're really just allowing the lawyer to focus on the legal side and the administ- administrative and operational side is automated as much as possible. I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that's the way to go. It, no lawyer wants to go to law school uh, and then graduate and then spend their time emailing back and forth and getting documents. That's just, that's not, that's not what lawyers should be doing. That's not what lawyers want to be doing. It's just part of the job. But to your point, it sort of doesn't have to be. Exactly. And not everyone can afford it to hire a system to follow those documents, right? That's true. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, so, so let me ask you kind of, what do you think is the, what do you see for the future of, you know, of the company? Um, I know you guys raised a little bit of money recently, um, and I think that's always really, really exciting. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that kind of fundraise, just because I think people are interested in that kind of a thing, but but then more importantly, like, what do you see for the for the future of super visas? Um, and then maybe how do you compare that to the future of Canadian immigration in general? You know, right now, the it's all over the news. The, the country is saying 1.2 million immigrants over the next three years. I mean, there's more immigration programs coming out. So how do you how do you translate the VC funding a little bit that you raised to kind of growth of the company? What do you see for the future? And then how do you translate that to the, what the country is doing? Yeah. So 
as everyone here, my story is like I'm still in the learning process of a startup, like yeah. especially tech tech startup, like even for fundraising, right? So in the beginning, I really wasn't like raising any money because we just wanted to push our revenue by ourselves. And that's also I learned from the, uh, the accelerator. Once you have a better traction, you can raise more money in the down the road. Then you can have a more runway and a, a, you have a more flexibility to build your team and so on and so on. Yeah. So we raised uh, some money now and uh, up to date, and it's actually to helping us to grow our team. Right? And in order to grow this team, we wanted to uh, have the cash flow security, and we got lucky, and and some investors uh, actually believed in us, um, putting money in us. So where, where, where I see SuperVisa in the future is actually we are not just focusing in Canada, but we're starting from Canada. We're starting from Canada for a reason, because Canadian immigration system is actually very easy compared to, for example, the States. So we wanted to use the Canadian immigration systems, or even Australia is very good at uh, another example, um, to build the infrastructure of the technology behind. So that allowing us to scale to multiple countries in the coming years very easily. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it would be kind of a global platform where folks can go and for multiple different countries be able to put in their information and sort of figure out where they can go and maybe even file through the platform. Exactly. So where we're now is like we're in Canada. So we consider ourselves in the hosting country, right? But the clients or the immigrants or the visa holders or visa sinkers, they're from the origin of their home country, which is in China, in India, in Middle East, and in Europe, other countries. So when you start operating your business in those countries, they're not just coming to you say, hey, uh, how can I apply for Canada? They're coming to you say, hey, which country are you providing services mm-hmm. to? Right? So that's why we started from Canada, but we wanted to expand our services to multiple nations uh, in, the, in the future. What do you say? You know, I think global, like a global immigration platform, it has to be the future. Um, you know, I think about it both from an individual perspective, and then of course from a company perspective. Um, if a company could leverage a platform to move easily, move its employees across the world, you know, from a visa perspective, from an immigration perspective, I think there's just so much to be done. Um, and then I, for me personally, when I take a step back and you think, all right can we plug the immigration process into a broader global mobility technology where, okay, the person got their visa, but now they need something to help them figure out the actual move. And then once they move, they need something to manage their, you know, their, you need a credit card, you need to get your health care and, you know, health insurance, you need a, a car, right? You need an apartment, all that stuff is new for people who are moving to another country It'd be really wonderful. And I'm, I hope that the future sees a lot of this kind of joining forces, whether it's one really large company or whether it's like, you know, through API and other integrations between discrete companies. Um, what do you, you know, how do you see the future of this kind of industry? And, and how do you think, you know, do you think that you're going to stay in Canada for, I mean, it's hard to know, but do you think you're going to stay in Canada for a while or do you want to like jump, go really global? Yeah, so I definitely wanted to go global, but like again, like I will stay focusing in Canada for uh, in, in the beginning. And uh, really, what you just mentioned is a huge opportunity. It's a settlement services, right? There, like after you came to this country, like even as an international student, you came to this country initially. You are considered as a newcomer. As a newcomer, you're just like a newborn baby. As the citizens in the local cities. They don't know anything about this city. They don't know where to looking for housing, school, all the essential services. They're, they they have the lack of knowledge or resources to reach by them. Um, I mean, there are so many good asylum services are out there, but uh, it's there's a still disconnecting um, because most asylum services are non-profit, non-for-profit, and or or, or founded by government. So they're not aggressively reaching those people. They're just waiting there and for those people who need help and then coming to me. But the problem is that those people who have a problem wouldn't even be able to find you in right. the first place. <laughs> yeah. What do you, um, you know, for, for people out there who 
might either be thinking about starting a company in the space or perhaps more importantly, just service providers or people who are trying to move, what advice would you give them in terms of helping to push technology in this industry? Because I think part of, you know, that's why we're talking. That's why the show exists because we exactly. need to, to educate people. So, you know, what advice do you have for other immigration and mobility businesses or practitioners in terms of um, either leveraging technology or building it? Yeah. So I would say keep the dialogue open, right? Between the competitors, between the partners, between the users, between your clients. I think a communication is very important. And again, the immigration space, it's huge. Even um, if you're going back to looking the report by United Nations in 2019, there are 272 million international migrants in 2019. So, I mean, there's a huge potential there and uh, it's hard to sell. It's hard to just solve it by one idea, right? Yeah. This needs to be this needs collaboration. This needs a lot of uh, ideas combining together. Then one of them or maybe multiple of them will make a success in this space. So on top of my head, or the, the if there's only one thing I can suggest to everyone in the space to, to improve or is talking to your clients to really understand what is their problem and where they're going through right now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, that's a great point. And I think there's a really big push to, you know, client portals, whether it's the technology that your clients are seeing or just communication or something. I think I think people are are starting to expect better service. And so I think in this industry, we're starting to really understand that providing better service is really, really important, not just for them, but also to stay in business, you know? Exactly. So no, that that's that's really great, and I'm I'm excited, man. I'm I'm really excited for you and and for super visas. I'm I'm really pumped for Canada too, because again, it's it's just all over the news in terms of kind of good news after good news for the most part. Um, and and so I I think that it feels to me that you're in the right place at the right time, you know, because you're you're building technology that's really, it sounds like helping people achieve their dream of coming to Canada in an easier way at a time when probably record numbers of people might want to move to Canada. Um, so I, I think that's, I think that's really awesome. You know, I, I like to, I kind of try to end these things if I can with something a little bit, maybe more fun or um, I remember talking to you uh, one time and you were telling me that w we were chatting about how we're both like theater nerds. I love to do, yeah, I, love, exactly. I, I love doing improv. You run your own company. So you're a you're the boss. If you could have the wackiest marketing or commercial or, or marketing campaign, wackiest marketing campaign for super visas, what would it be? I had this crazy idea. It's like, like I just wanted to get people to know us. Right, because I really truly believe that we're providing value to them, and we don't charge them a money in the beginning. We just want to come to try us. So I was like, uh, to, you know, like those Halloween giant ghosts thing, and they're like, you can you can blow them, and they're just like flying on the sky everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I was just like, a create a super visa, a super visa version of that, and. Uh, just put on the Times Square, you know. <laughs> yeah, just put on the Times Square and uh, just ask people to to you know like scan the barcode or like log into the website and they just to do a quiz yourself, find out which program you can apply for. That would be amazing. What a what character would it be? Would it be you? Would it be a blow up of you with your? <laughs> Maybe it could be both of us. <laughs> uh, that would be hilarious. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. Maybe in every major city, yeah. Paris, Shanghai, exactly, Tokyo, New York, exactly. Like with the barcode, everyone has a phone today, right? Yeah. They can just scan on the sky and say, "Hey, what the fuck is that?" And then it's like scan it. And it's like yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, I hope you yeah. can do it. That that doesn't sound too crazy. You could probably do that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I'll well, do one day. Sean, um, you know, thank you so much. This is really exciting and I'm super pumped for you guys and congrats on all the success with super visas. I just think that it's a no brainer for 
the immigration space in Canada, in the US, and just globally to start leveraging more technology. I think we as individuals are expecting more of it. And, and just the more we talk about it, the more we build, the more we talk to all of our stakeholders, our attorneys, agents, the people who are actually coming, companies who are hiring people, uh, family members who are bringing in their, their loved ones or their spouse, the more we talk to them, the more we can build, I think, the future of, of this industry. So I'm excited for what's to come. No, I'm excited too. Yeah. I mean, like, I really appreciate what you've done for the industry, like gathering everyone together. I think that's you're actually creating this hub or you're creating this bridge between a lot of the founders in the space, right? So you provide the opportunity for us to learn from each other. I think that's great value there. So oh. I really appreciate for that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And, you know, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to do any of this without folks like you and everybody else who joins us and live or, or, or is listening. So, um, well, Sean, thank you again so much. Really appreciate you spending your Friday afternoon um, um, chatting and answering questions, sharing your story. If folks want to learn about you, it's supervisas.com. Um, but obviously, I'm a big LinkedIn fan. So, I'm, I, you know, for folks, collect, connect with Sean on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, thank you so much, Sean. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, the pleasure is mine.